Welcome to Bolt On Podcast, thoughts on theology, philosophy, apologetics, and whatever else is going on in the world today. Blaise Pascal, scientist, mathematician, physicist, inventor, philosopher. But something changed. Over the course of two hours on the night of Monday, November 23rd, 1654, something changed. Fire. God of Abraham. God of Isaac. God of Jacob. Not of the philosophers and of the learned. Certitude. Certitude. Feeling. Joy. Peace. Thus begins the English translation of Pascal's memorial. These words and those which follow them were sewn into Pascal's coat and found upon his death. Thus Pascal left behind more than the Pascaline, his calculating device. He left behind more than his provincial letters, an argument against the Jesuits. He left behind more than his famous Pascal's wager in his unfinished apologetic thoughts published as the Pensee. Pascal left behind a meaningful articulation of what appears to be some type of conversion-like religious experience in the memorial. But what does Pascal mean, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned? Debate surrounds what exactly Pascal means in this famous quote. His words seem to indicate a change in religious belief. However, Pascal does not describe a shift from atheism to theism, but from something like understanding God by way of reason to understanding God through faith. Another way to put the matter is that Pascal moves from understanding God by way of the philosophers and scholars to understanding God from Scripture. Pascal seemingly pits the God of the Bible against the God of the philosophers. Pascal raises a question of who God is and how we know him. The potential problem with what Pascal presents is threefold. First of all, this quote raises the issue of which God is the true God. Second, this quote calls the project of what's known as natural theology into question. Third, the quote highlights a distinction between an abstract philosophical concept and a personal relationship with a transcendent God. Again, this quote raises the issue of which God is the true God. Which God is the true God? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Or the God of the philosophers and scholars? The question assumes that the God of Scripture and the God of the philosophers is not the same God. Why would that be? The claim could be that philosophers describe God in such a way as is inconsistent with the God described in Scripture, or... The claim could be that philosophers describe God in such a way as is inadequate to also describe the God of the Bible. Insofar as philosophers describe God in such a way as to conflict with the description of God provided in the Bible, Pascal's contention proposed the way that he does here is self-evident and it's uninteresting, since some theologians would also describe God in ways that are inconsistent with what Scripture actually teaches. And so Pascal's complaint would apply to those theologians as well. So the inadequacy interpretation is more interesting. What do I mean? Well, what's the difference between the God of the Bible and the God of the philosophers? The inadequacy objection to the God of the philosophers 
takes it to be the case that the God appearing in descriptions from the philosophers is not the same God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob found in Scripture. One could push back on this objection, though, by showing that theologians also do not always adequately describe God as he's described in Scripture. More importantly, then, what is necessary and sufficient for a description of God to adequately match the description of God in the Bible? If those are not stated outright, then Pascal's objection fails, or at least the objection has not been clearly stated. And so perhaps the most potent way of framing this objection, so-called, to the God of the philosophers along these lines is to point out that their descriptions do not pick out the Trinity in particular, while the description of God provided in the Bible does pick out the Trinity in particular. The philosophers refer to a general theistic God that does not exist, so far as we know anyway, in Trinity. And so the God of the philosophers is not the God of the Bible, or so the argument goes. But there are two responses, at least, that we could give to this objection. The first is that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to whom Pascal refers, is the God revealed in the Old Testament scriptures. And God does not maintain in any explicit or formal sense that he exists in Trinity as far as the Old Testament texts are concerned. So, for example, the believers in the Old Testament, like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and others, they faced this same apparent difficulty as the philosophers and scholars do, at least with regard to the doctrine of the Trinity. But to claim that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a contradiction, and so that argument does not work. A second response is that, of course, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the triune God, whether or not they knew that in any explicit fashion. And so to know the triune God of Scripture is not necessarily the same as knowing the doctrine of the Trinity. There's a distinction between knowing the triune God of Scripture and knowing about the doctrine of the Trinity. And so the philosophers and scholars can also know the God of Scripture without knowing that God exists in Trinity. They just simply know the triune God. But this quote calls natural theology into question. It stands to reason that the arguments of the philosophers are problematic if the philosophers can't pick out the God of the Bible in their thinking. The implication is that even arguments from natural theology, which are sound and have true conclusions, do not provide a proper picture of the Trinitarian God of Scripture. Natural knowledge of God through general revelation, as well as any knowledge of God available through the arguments of natural theology, does not provide knowledge of the Trinity. Nor can such arguments provide the knowledge of Jesus Christ as Redeemer. We need the scriptures for that. In that sense, the God of the philosophers is not the God of the Bible. And so natural theology only proves some sort of general theism, if that. More than that, natural theology fails to demonstrate much more than particular attributes of God. Even when we take natural theological arguments in a cumulative way, when we take all these arguments together, these arguments only go so far into the nature of God, pointing towards something like deism. At the same time, the God of the philosophers is consistent 
with many different concepts of deity that we have in various world religions. I mean, it may be that you wind up proving the god of modern-day Judaism or the god of modern-day Islam, or even some sort of pantheistic concept of God or, or deistic concept of God. Not only does natural theology prove too little, it actually proves too much because it leaves us with a general concept of God that can be affirmed by adherence to many different religious traditions. Now, by way of pushback, one might suggest that Old Testament revelation doesn't appear to provide so many details either. The cumulative force of arguments from natural theology provide a more robust concept of God than a single argument does. The quote from Pascal also highlights a distinction between an abstract philosophical concept and a personal relationship with God. The formal descriptions of God provided by the philosophers are thought to be lacking. They're empty concepts insofar as they fail to capture the transcendence of God. Since God transcends the categories of the philosophers, the question is once again raised as to whether or not the God of the Bible and the God of the philosophers is the same God. By way of reply, one may note that God is certainly not reducible to any of the philosopher's categories. Nevertheless, just because God transcends every concept does not entail that we can't think of or speak of God. The revelation of God in Scripture is not divorced from human thought and language in that way. Rather, the language, the revelation of, of God in Scripture is actually accommodated to human thought and language, such that we can speak true things of God in philosophical terms, so long as our descriptions aren't inconsistent with and are predicated on the categories provided us in Scripture. Nevertheless, Pascal is interested in having a real and living relation with the Almighty. And this is something cold philosophical concepts of an abstract, generic God cannot accomplish. After having examined the quote, I still tend to agree with Pascal that the philosophers will never find the God of the Bible at the end of their syllogisms, at the end of their arguments. Scripture provides plenty of details related to a plurality within God, even in the Old Testament. We see hints of the Trinity if it's not stated explicitly. Natural theology can't provide that type of knowledge. Scripture also differentiates the God of the Bible from all other gods throughout. Even nuanced natural theology doesn't come close to providing the level of confidence we can have in proclaiming the God of the Bible as he's presented. And scripture accommodates our finitude in its revelation of God to us as both transcendent and personal, something that the mere concepts of natural theology simply cannot accomplish in a redemptive fashion. None of these considerations take into account the problems inherent to the fallen human reasoning of the philosophers and scholars who would attempt to make their way up to God, when God must actually reach down to us if we're to know him and be saved by him. And since the saving knowledge of God, as opposed to a mere sense of the bare existence of God, requires knowledge of Jesus Christ, we can see even more of what Pascal may be after in this famous quote. Attempting to base the whole of one's belief in God on natural theology alone is a problem. Receiving the revelation of God in nature and scripture is not. Nevertheless, having received God's revelation, we can use human reasoning in accord with that premise of faith to further understand God from nature and through natural theology.
the year of grace. 1654. Monday, 23rd November, Feast of St. Clement, Pope and Martyr, and others in the Martyrology. Vigil of St. Chrysogonus, Martyr, and others. From about half past ten at night until about half past midnight, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. Your God will be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God. He is only found by the ways taught in the gospel. Grandeur of the human soul. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy. I have departed from him. They have forsaken me, the fount of living water. My God, will you leave me? Let me not be separated from him forever. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and the one that you sent, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. I left him, I fled him, renounced, crucified. Let me never be separated from him. He is only kept securely by the ways taught in the gospel. Renunciation, total and sweet. Complete submission to Jesus Christ and to my director. Eternally enjoy for a day's exercise on the earth. Not to forget your words. Amen. You've been listening to Bolt On Podcast. Join us next time for another topic. You can follow Chris Bolt on Twitter at CLBolt. Thank you for listening.